Good morning, everyone, and welcome to River Oaks, and welcome to those of you who might be watching with us online. So glad that you are here, um, and it might be a little bit of a surprise to you uh, to see that I'm up today. I got a call on Wednesday from Pastor David, and uh, he said, Brian, I tested positive for COVID. Uh, he has mild symptoms. Uh, he f- actually feels much better today. Um, and um, he asked, uh, they got far enough down the list of, of everybody on staff. Um, and I was the sucker that said, yes, I will, um, of course, preach for you. Uh, because back in January, I was lined up to preach. And that's when I contracted COVID. Uh, and he took over for me. So we're just kind of flip-flopping a little bit. Um, and so um, I've been in vocational ministry for just about 14 years uh, this coming summer. And one of my favorite things about being um, on staff here at River Oaks is this is my 10th uh, summer where we are leading a mission trip um, and our church and our youth ministry here is all about missions. I have been able to um, go on mission trips anywhere from places like the impoverished mountains and helping uh, of, of Appala- the Appalachian Mountains in Kentucky, helping people rebuild homes, uh, to helping sort clothes and um, help run street vacation Bible schools in um, Bluefield, West Virginia, and everything in between. And Pastor Sonny, he was the founding youth pastor of our church 23 years ago. And I really think, Sonny, because he created a genetic DNA in our youth ministry that really implanted this heart for missions. And over the years that I've been here at River Oaks, I've had um, so many of these opportunities to, to go on mission trips. Um, and this summer, we are actually taking 55 students and leaders with us to go out to Sun Valley, Arizona, and have an opportunity to link arms with the Native American Christian Academy, who ministers to Navajo Native American children and give them a Christian education. Um, and we are excited to, d- to do that this summer. I've also been able to go on international mission trips with our student ministry to places like Jamaica and Belize, um, and help partner with established churches and missionaries there, because they will also tell you that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And because of the opportunities that we have had to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community and all around the world, uh, we have seen at least 16 individuals or couples from within our church answer the call to serve as missionaries. You can see them listed here all across the globe. And one of the fascinating things when I was kind of going down this list is that I took note that at least half of these were once teenagers from within our youth ministry over the years. Two more will begin serving as missionaries with YWAM this fall. And we have also called five into vocational ministry, pastoral ministry. Our youth ministry is not the only sending ministry in our church, though. Earlier this week, pastors David, Wes, Sonny, and I, and Andrew, we all estimated that we have done roughly 75 total mission trips since our church started in 1999. And that does not include the local work that is done in our own community. As a matter of fact, the very first church uh, check that our church ever wrote was not to uh, pay a pastor's salary or to help pay a bill. It was for missions. And so to tell you that our church is all about missions is an understatement because we are all about missions and so much more. One thing that is clear in scripture as Christians is that we are called to serve God wherever we are and wherever God calls us all the time. And you want to know what? None of the mission trips that I just talked about would be possible without the hard work and the sacrifices of the, of 
the Holy Spirit at work in the early apostles. Jesus started with a core group of 12 guys. And can you imagine, just for a second, like put on your uh, like hypothesis, what, a, what if hat for just a moment, and think about what would happen if these disciples began to li- give the excuses that sometimes we give on why we can't call, uh, answer the call to serve Jesus. Like what if Andrew and Peter and James and John I said, sorry, Jesus, you know, the timing is just not right. My, my boss has given me this quota of fish that I have to catch. Or what if um, Matthew had replied, you know what, Jesus, I'm just buried in paperwork. Tax season is coming up, and I really need to make sure that all, all of the th- things are ready to go for that. Instead, they left everything thing that they had, and they went out. The disciples left everything to answer this call to serve and to share the good news of Jesus. And because they said yes, we have churches across the world today. And as we continue in our sermon series in Luke, if we were to look back at Luke chapter 9, we would see that the the disciples were being prepared for ministry. And now that we arrive in Luke chapter 10, we see that they are being sent out as his disciples to do the work. and And Jesus also expands his team. In examining the work of the disciples, we can see five action steps that believers are to take in order to reach others. And in in their strategy for reaching their cities and their towns, we can also take note of some ways that we can apply this to our lives. And the first of those, the first action step for reaching others is that we are called to pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. In verses 1 and 2, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. So Jesus begins with 12, and then he expands his team. And some translations state that there were 70 and others state that there were 72. Scholars can't necessarily agree on which number is best based on these original manuscripts, but the number isn't so much as important as what the task was that was at hand, and that that was that they were called to be sent out into the harvest. Jesus was speaking metaphorically here as well when he was talking about this harvest. He wasn't calling these 72 out to go and and be farmers and and to till the ground and do agricultural work. Instead, he was sending them out to do the work of evangelism. He was sending them out into an area of the fallen world that God was growing and was ready to do some work. And we aren't sure who these 72 people are, but their work was forever known. The first great work of Christian evangelism is done on our knees in prayer. We must be earnestly seeking the Lord to supply laborers. And the problem is not that there are, there's no harvest. Instead, it's that there are too few laborers, too few Christians who are doing the work of telling people about Jesus. Before our youth mission trips begin, we encourage all of our youth to, um, to find at least two or three prayer partners who will be praying with them before and during and after the trips so that the Lord can be at work in and through them. And there are people who have the ability and the desire to go out and to serve, but equally as important are the people back home who are praying for God to do a mighty work in and through them, and for the missionaries, those who are being sent out, to be bold and to be courageous for the Spirit of the Lord to move mightily while they do the Lord's work. 
And the Lord commands each one of us to pray. And praying shouldn't just be an excuse for a call to action. Like when, when somebody might say, hey, I think that you should go with me on this mission trip to Honduras. Um, you can, don't use the cop out of, yeah, I'll pray about that. And then like, don't pray about it. You know, like we are called to pray and to go. And we see this in the lives of the 72 who were sent out. These 72 were, in a way, answers to their own prayers for laborers. And so it is with us. We must pray earnestly, which means we must be prepared to be the answer to our prayers. If we're praying that the Lord would call people out, maybe it's that he's calling us within these prayers. We don't need to be perfect evangelists, by the way. We must just simply be people who can maybe be a stumbling evangelist. We don't have to know all of the words. We don't have to have every single answer, but we are called to go out in our own way and to be bold and courageous for the Lord to do a mighty work. And as I was preparing this message, this thought kind of crept into my mind. Why does God tell us to pray for laborers? Like, couldn't God just speak and his work could be done? He could put it on the hearts of every people in a vision or a dream. And he, if, if he could speak the whole universe into creation, certainly he could speak um, for, pe- for his work to be done. He doesn't need people like you, and he certainly doesn't need people like me to carry out his work. He can do this without us, but instead he chooses to do it with us, to give us the privilege of bringing in the harvest of his servants. Let us be people of earnest prayer so that we can, so that the plentiful harvest might be brought in and so that the storehouses of God's kingdom would be overflowing with people who are being saved because of the action of his church on mission. Amen? Number two, go humbly. Go humbly. So first, pray earnestly. Next one is go humbly. And this call to go humbly isn't so much a call to be meek in every single thing that we do, although that is a great thing. But instead, when I, when, when I came up with go humbly, I was more leaning into this, this de- utter dependence on God, that we can't do it in our own accord. And we get this if we continue to read in verses three through four. It says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Jesus provides a reality check as it relates to going on mission with this imagery that's found in verse three. It says, lambs in the midst of wolves. It's a picture of danger. Wolves snarl and they bear their fangs and they circle around and they're ready to tear into lambs. Jesus doesn't send us out into safe houses or into monasteries. He sends us out into a world that is dangerous. And sometimes that danger can lurk in our own backyard. Sometimes that danger can be formed in a workplace. It might mean that you might have a job on the line by being bold and courageous to share your faith with others. It might be taking a stance for Christianity. Sometimes there is danger that lurks when we are sent out on mission. And isn't, isn't it interesting that he told his disciples to take nothing? That kind of struck me. In our certainty study later this year, we are going to arrive in Luke chapter 22, where the Lord is nearing his death and his ascension. And in verses 35 to 38 of chapter 22, um, he revisits this passage that we just read in chapter 10. 
as a reminder to show them that while he was with them, he was going to provide for them. But as his earthly ministry was coming to a close, Jesus said this, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And here's the answer, nothing. The disciples didn't lack anything. And he said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with, his, with the transgressors. For what is written about me has, has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So now, revisiting chapter 10, we, we try to do this as a church. We trust in God's provision. We lack nothing because the Lord is with us. We trust that God will provide everything that we need and when we need it. When we go out boldly on mission, it starts small, but the, the, the expanse is magnified tenfold. The 72 went out into the streets, and then all of a sudden those streets started sharing with other streets, and more people shared about the transformation that happens when we know and experience the love of Christ. Our mission goes into the far reaches of the world because of the bold actions of the early church where important work is still being done in the hardest of reach places and some of the most dangerous places of the world as well. Scripture doesn't exist in some places of the world in their original, uh, in, in the language group of people. We call these unreached people groups where the word of God has not gotten into some communities. And just this past week, Pastor West got an update from missionaries translating scripture in Kunar. Kunar is one of our church's adopted unreached people groups. There's a big wall about it right here outside of the sanctuary walls. And West got an update from some of the missionaries just this past week that said this, over the past 15 years, we were able to see God initiating translation in two more languages in Kanar, in addition to Kanari Pahari. As you know, a total of nine languages are spoken in Kanar. So there's three of the nine, and the remaining six languages are small, but the speakers are from the P Tibetan Buddhist community. They are one of the hard, hardest communities to reach. And as we are in the region for the next few weeks, our heart's cry is to hear what his heart's cry is for these remaining communities. We appreciate your prayers. There are people who are sent, who are working and toiling and hard, working hard to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the hardest and most difficult reach it to reach places of the world. The go of Luke gets echoed at the end of the gospel and in the Great Commission. This command applies to every Christian, and we can all do our part by going out and also praying for those who are being sent. There is no way to be a Christian without being at least a goer in some capacity, whether it's across the street or in your school hallways or on your sports team or at your workplace or in your child's bedroom right down the hall. We must humbly go and bear witness of Christ's love to all people so that his work can be done. The third action step for reaching others is to live peacefully. Live peacefully. Have you ever met somebody who you would just love to put in their place? I know I have. Here's story time, all right? When I was in high school, I was a sophomore, and uh, I know this is a really terrible thing, but I broke curfew on a mission trip one time. And um, I had... Uh, 
broken curfew with a, a couple guys and a couple girls. Nothing bad happened or anything like that. We were just out doing, you know, hanging out when we shouldn't have been. And news spread of this the next day. It spread like wildfire. Can you believe that Brian was out doing, you know? And all, all of a sudden, my youth pastor, he comes up to me. He's like, Brian, I hate to do it, but you broke a rule and you're going to have to go home. So I had to ride with one of my friends who was also one of the transgressors, a grueling five and a half hours back home from Kentucky um, and met up with my parents. And to this day, I can still remember the look on their face when they came to pick me up. Well, here I am the very next Sunday in our, in our uh, youth Sunday school, uh, cl- uh, we had three different Sunday school classes. And this particular morning, one of our volunteer leaders um, had asked if all of the Sunday school classes could meet together in our big kind of like room that, that we all met in and then branched off for classes. But he said, can we just meet in this one room? Because I have a message that the Lord has put on my heart. And during this message, he talked about sin and he proceeded to point fingers and name names about how sinful it was for people like Brian to be out past curfew on a mission trip. And here I am crushed. I'm devastated that I am the example of a sermon, the example of a lesson in front of all of my friends, in front of other adult leaders. I already had the, the, the shame and the guilt of knowing that I had done wrong, but here I am being made an example out of. And luckily, you know, I, I kind of let it pass. I didn't hold on to those grudges or anything like that, but I learned about God's mercy and justice um, a few years later. We are over at another volunteer leader's home, hanging out, and a bunch of us are just over there. We're having a grand old time. The end of the evening, uh, my my then-girlfriend, now wife, Casey and I, are walking out at the end of the night, and we see, uh, we go out to her car, and her car had been run into so bad in the parking spot that she was in that the driver's side door and the the passenger, or the, the passenger door behind on the driver's side were Um, all dented in so badly that you couldn't even get in from that side of the car. Hit and run. Well, luckily this volunteer leader, whose home that we were in, had a great security camera system, and we were able to go back and rewind some tapes, and wouldn't you know whose daughter it was (laughs) who had committed a hit and run misdemeanor? Well, it was very tempting that next Sunday morning to say, hey, uh, Pastor Raymond, I have a sermon that I would love to share with our Sunday school class. But instead, we quietly, humbly dealt with uh, forgiveness, and we did allow their insurance company to fix the damages to Casey's car. But God calls us to live peacefully with one another. It's easy to want to allow the mean side of us, the, the sin sinful side of us to come out and to want to put people in their place. But Jesus calls us to live peaceably with one another. I don't always live peaceably as my natural default, but I try to look at how scripture can instruct us. And here we see even more about this in verses five through eight. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. When we enter homes, how many of you go in and say, peace be to this house? Like we're told to do that. Peace be to this house, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. And if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Now this expression of peace 
is probably best um, understood as the Hebrew word for shalom, which carries a much richer connotation to what uh, they were, Luke was trying to convey. It conveyed not merely the absence of conflict and turmoil, but this notion of positive blessing over the residents, especially in terms of a right relationship with God. So, as ambassadors of peace, we are to seek the people of peace, and our Savior is the Prince of Peace, and he modeled it so well. Sometimes we may encounter those who do not return to peace, and in such cases, we are called to just keep moving. Other times, we will meet those who receive us and receive the message of hope and the love that we bring with us. And when that happens, we are to share in all good things together. We let the peace rest on them. And then the fourth action step that we get to is to preach boldly. Preach boldly. Jesus determines what messages we are to share with others. And he says this in verse 9. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. We don't have to fret or to worry about what to say Because scripture tells us that a faithful messenger delivers what Christ has already said. When we share the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ with the lost world around us, the kingdom of God is expanded and revealed. There have been times in my life where I felt like I needed to share something, where the Lord has put something on my heart and I was a little nervous. I didn't know what to say, but I had this hunch that it needed to be. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 12, I find great comfort in these words that says that the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the moment when you need them. So I would encourage you to be bold and to trust in the Lord that the Lord will put his words in you at the right time. Be bold and trust in him when you feel prompted to share. Do you see the importance of this mandate? Even if people reject us for loving Jesus or sharing Jesus with them, we are called to proclaim his truth, to share his love, no matter the cost. A part of the message that we are called to carry is one that our culture today shuns. We are called to pronounce these woes of God on those who reject us. If we were to continue to read, we will see this in verses 10 to 16. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even if the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. The message still remains the same. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment of Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And so Jesus' woes to these towns can seem harsh, but they are actually acts of mercy. And let me ask a question. If you were in a house that was burning and it was on fire and you knew that somebody else was inside, wouldn't it be more merciful to do everything that you could to get that person rescued before they succumb to the flames? Providing such warnings to our unsaved family and friends, neighbors, classmates, and people around the world requires boldness And it requires love. 
Did you know that Jesus taught more about hell than he did about heaven? Yet this is one of the most unpopular subjects in all of scripture. We are called to tell the truth that God is angry about sin and his judgment is near and so is his kingdom. And some of the most popular preachers today make a big deal of never talking about God's judgment or about sin. They teach, or teach a very watered down theology. Things that, uh, and they say things like, well, if you give God more money, then God is going to bless you with more money or God just wants you to be happy. These messages never have a woe. They never have a warning. They never talk about sin or about God's justness. And I know this is probably unkind, but if I'm ever in a bookstore and I see a book written by one of said preachers that teaches these prosperity gospels, I might be known to turn them around so that the back is showing in hopes that nobody will walk by and see it and pick it up and buy it. That's probably bad. I shouldn't do that. Any person who will not speak plainly with you about the state of your soul's is not a friend. If I'm honest with you, I love having friends who are great cheerleaders. I love having people that can tell me, Brian, you did a great job at this, or you did great at that, and it's, it makes you feel good. But I also know that I need friends who can be real and be honest with me. We all need true friends who can balance being our cheerleader and our besties, but we can also loving, who can also lovingly point out sin in our lives and call it what it is. It's not always easy sharing about truths regarding our eternal destinations. And I've said this before, I think, in a previous sermon, but I'm going to share it again because it's just that good. One of our former youth leaders, he would always say that to be a Christian and not share the love of Christ with non-believers and to teach them about realities regarding heaven and hell is kind of like being on the Titanic after it struck the iceberg. And instead of going around and handing everybody a life preserver or life jacket or putting them into a lifeboat, you're going around and just straightening pictures on the wall because they're crooked. It's so easy for us to lose focus of the most important things. But the gospel of Jesus, it literally means good news. And for it to be good news, we must truly understand that there is also bad news that comes with it. And the bad news is that God is just and in his perfect and righteous ways, he has the right to condemn those who do not know him. But the good news, the great news, is that God is also a God of love. We can escape this condemnation simply by putting our faith and our trust and our hope in his one and only son, Jesus, and living a life in relationship with him. So if you have ever had your toes stepped on in a sermon the way that I have, and heard a pastor maybe say something along the lines of what Jesus said in his word, and, and this pastor may have pronounced uh, woes out there for doing things like having sex outside of marriage, or for being lazy, or for stealing, or for losing your temper, or abandoning your kids, or disobeying your parents, or not doing what your boss told you to do, that preacher is being a friend to you. And it's not easy to hear, but it makes us sharper and it makes us stronger. And look at what Proverbs tells us about this refining process. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. While it's not fun having your sins pointed out to you, this refining process is being done and it makes us sharper and more dangerous to the enemy who is on the prowl. 
the truth of the matter is that if we break just one of God's laws, even just one, then we break all of God's law, and that separates us from God's holy perfection, and God will not turn a blind eye to sin. He will simply ask if we have either rejected him or if we have trusted in his son, who takes away wrath by becoming our sin bearer. And that is the choice. Receive Christ, believe in him and be saved. And let us preach this message boldly to all. As we see in this passage, the message does not change based on the audience's response. You might have people who will welcome such messages and you might also feel like a sheep in the midst of wolves. Whether the people receive us or reject us, this message must be communicated. We don't have to worry about what to say. We simply need to know the gospel. And if and when we know the gospel, then we know everything that we need to know in order to see our classmates, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, our friends saved. We are called to preach the message boldly. And remember what it, that what looks like opposition in the beginning can end with melted hearts and sincere faith in the end. Preach boldly, church. The 72 who were sent out in verse one, give us our last action step. Give God the glory. Give God the glory. The last way that we can reach others is to give glory to God. And we see this when we read verses 17 to 24, or 17 to 19. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. They were shocked. The, the, the 72 were amazed at what they were able to do in the power in the name of Jesus. People were turning to them and even they were being able to do things that they never would have thought possible. However, that's not the basis for rejoicing. The Lord points out that even Satan was prideful, and that's, what was cast, ca that's why he was cast out from heaven. However, Jesus says this in verse 20, Nonetheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but instead rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We are not to rejoice in the ministry that we're able to do so we can pat ourselves on the back and say, boy, great job, Brian, well done today. Instead, we should rejoice that someone's name is written in heaven. And that is a far greater cause for rejoicing than even the ability to cast out demons. I can remember the very first person that I ever led to the Lord. I was on a mission trip. I was 13 years old and our, ch our church had done a choir tour um, and we were in Nashville, Tennessee and we were serving at a soup kitchen during the day before we were going to sing at a church later that evening. And I struck up a conversation with a guy named Mickey who was homeless and he said to me, Brian, why is it that you drove all the way from North Carolina? Why did your church drive all the way from North Carolina to Nashville and you're here feeding me? And my response was that we love Jesus and Jesus loved him and we're simply doing what Jesus called to do. And that's to help those in need. And after talking, he wanted to know more about this Jesus guy. And I asked my youth pastor to come over and help me uh, talk with him more about this. And that day, Mickey gave his life to the Lord, and I believe that one day I will be able to be reunited with my brother, Mickey, when I get to heaven. I will see him there. 
Christians, we are called to rejoice that we are not among those cities and the people condemned in God's judgment. We are citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And that has been accomplished at great cost. The great love of Jesus who shed his blood for our sins. No matter what happens in life, we have reason to rejoice in our name, that our names are written in heaven. We should also rejoice greatly that God has revealed his truth to us. In the next verses, we see that Jesus rejoices in the Father's will. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We are to rejoice in the things that Jesus rejoices in. Our Lord rejoiced that God had made the gospel known to those who believe. It's as if God with his own fingers had opened our eyelids and has given us sight. He opened our eyes to see. He removed the scales and the blinders that blocked our sight of Christ. We were once blind, but now if you are in Christ Jesus, you can see. And what made the difference? It's that God revealed himself to us through his son and the son showed us the father. And if you can see God through faith, then you too ought to rejoice the most significant spiritual problem in the, world's today, in the world today is spiritual blindness. And that can come in the form of anything from apathy to never hearing about Jesus. And that is why evangelism and Jesus's mission is so important. And lastly, rejoice because we also live in an era, era that the prophets long to see. They looked forward to this. And we see this in our final verses. 23 says, Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Because we live after the rule and reign of Jesus, we have the advantage of what some people say hindsight is twenty twenty. We can look back and see the way that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was Lord. We have the privilege of living in the fulfillment of what the prophets had hoped for. They looked forward with an incomplete vision, but we can look backward to the cross and, the full, and see the full rev revelation of God and Jesus Christ. We see more than the prophets did because all of the revelation of God is complete and has been given to us. And we can know the mind of the Lord through his word. We have received insider knowledge. We've been pulled aside privately by the Lord and given the glories of the gospel so that we can rejoice in Jesus Christ and be goers who are sent to reach the harvest that is plentiful. So a couple questions by way of application. Have I truly become a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to Christ who paid the penalty for your sin? Because Jesus paid he lived a perfect life that we could never live, and he died on the cross for our sins, a death that we deserve. And if you put your faith in him and follow him, then he will inc increasingly free you from sin and make you new, and he will have your name written in heaven. That is what God offers you, and God never makes a promise that he doesn't keep. Number two, what can I do this week to live out the mission that God has given me? Who are the people that God is calling you to share the good news with? Is it a family member? 
a coworker. Perhaps it's the mission down the hall. Maybe it's here within our own church. God is putting something on your heart to serve in our children's ministry. Number three, do I have a specific plan for praying for workers to enter the harvest? If not, talk with others about how perhaps they might organize their prayers and live uh, prayer lives to pray for the nations and the Christian workers around the world doing the important work. Will you pray with me, church? Lord, if there is anyone here today who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be a day of salvation. I pray that you would implant your Holy Spirit within their lives and that they would have their eyes opened to the sin that is there and that they would put their hope and their trust in your son, Jesus Christ, who died for that sin. I pray that you would reveal yourself to all of us as believers, that you would point us to the areas in which we are called to serve, that you would allow us to be bold and to proclaim the love of Jesus to the people and the places that we are already located. Lord, we pray for the harvest. We pray for the lost world, that they would be saved. Even the furthest reaches of the world, that your, the ministry of your word would go forth, forth and that you would allow people to, be, to know you and to love you with all of their hearts. Lastly, God, I pray that you would build your church. I pray that you would allow your kingdom to be built forever. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.